Is Planned Parenthood failing to protect children? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, October 9, 2023. In today's top story, Planned Parenthood hands out hormone prescriptions to autistic children. Uh, hello, I'm Dr. Georgia Purdom. This is Patricia Engler and Dr. Gabriella Haynes. And uh, let's get right into this, okay, with our top story. Planned Parenthood is helping teenagers transition after a 30-minute consult. Parents and doctors are sounding the alarms. This is a very alarming story to read. And it, we won't go into the whole story, but it basically relays um, uh, there was a child, that, an 18-year-old child, okay, but this child is autistic, has some developmental delays, uh, some other problems and had decided he had decided he wanted to be a woman basically wanted he was transgender and wanted that and so his parents wanted to take him to a gender clinic a pediatric gender clinic that deals a lot with um, autistic children or special needs children that are wanting to be transgender they said it was going to be about a year before they could get in and get an appointment so while it sounds like while his parents were out of town he decided to go to a Planned Parenthood and within 39 minutes of his the start of his appointment, he was prescribed um, estrogen and um, could pick it up at the local pharmacy. That's yeah. what we're dealing with here. Yeah, it uh, definitely stood out to me. Just a little bit of this irony that um, Planned Parenthood, as we know, is known for advocating for what they call reproductive freedom in the sense of selling abortions, which involves a little bit of a redefinition of freedom because we don't normally think of that as being free to take the lives of other people. But if we, if we grant them the term reproductive freedom, we would expect that they would not uh, want their patients to take hasty steps that might con uh, compromise their ability to make free reproductive choices in the future, but that's what we see going on, uh, especially in this case when we had this 18-year-old uh, who actually decided to transition only a few months after hearing a friend uh, transitioned also was, was part of the, the issue. So there's a lot of breaches in medical ethics that the article highlights. Well, the problem also, uh, after the con consultation, they were just um, sharing about the problems of the drugs and what they're talking about. It just... Um, Mood swings in male pattern baldness and to permanent infertility. Well, that's not just what happens. We have seen a lot of papers, a lot of articles being published talking about this um, change in the bone mass of the people, the brain, uh, the behavior. Uh, so all of that, all of that is going to be a problem. And you cannot, it's maybe not now, but maybe in a couple of years, few years, you're going to see those things happening. And sometimes it's just so, it's just too late. It's just already compromised, you know? So that's the problem because after, after 30 minutes, 39 minutes, the prescription yeah. was already in the pharmacy for him to go get it. Um, um, it was good that the parents had the phone and the, the message came to the parents' phone. So the, the parents was like, what's happening, you yeah. know? Yeah. And they could kind of understand and, and, and maybe help the child to not do that. And a lot of these parent parenthoods are saying they've seen a tremendous increase in the number of people, kids coming for gender visits, what they're calling that. So um, in Portland, it was a 400% increase. So they're doing more of these gender appointments than they are abortions mm -hmm. in some places. And I think what it goes to show you is, what is Planned Parenthood all about? The money, right? What's going to bring in the most money? Then they'll do it. I mean, so they're—I'm sure they're—they're they're making tons of money off of this. And 
you know, as I've always said about this, this is medical experimentation on children. It's I mean, abusive. This is what this is. And it's in condoning of this by parents, by doctors, by the government, by society in general. And it's, it's so um, tragic to think about what this is going to look like. It's already starting, but even what it's going to look like five or ten years down the road when these kids are saying to the adults, why did you do this? You know, what were you thinking? Why did you allow me to do this? It's just really sad. Yeah, and you said that, that it was 400%. You know, for how long? One year. In one year, it went up 400%. Right. That's totally, totally crazy number. Yep. And the article did mention a number of uh, problems. One is that uh, this issue of informed consent, which is a staple of medical ethics. When you have special needs, uh, you can't necessarily give that consent. And it was also talking like your brain isn't even developed till age like 25 or later. So especially the part that does long-term planning doesn't develop till the end. So really, is this a good idea? So uh, what wasn't mentioned, though, is the worldview that actually gives you the foundation for medical ethics in the first place. And that's a biblical worldview, which is also what gives people the hope that they're looking for uh, when they are trying all these other things that they think will satisfy them. So it's a reminder that it's the gospel and the love of Jesus that we need to be sharing. Yeah, what they don't, they don't need surgery or medications or mm -hmm. all that thing. What these young people need is they need the gospel of Jesus yes. Christ. You know, and we need to have mercy and compassion and help these individuals that are very confused. Um, when you think about all the things that their society is telling them um, to basically be the opposite of what the Bible says, uh, it, it's very disturbing. And so we as Christians need to be equipped. We need to know um, what Genesis says, right? We need to know what the Bible says, that God created us male and female in his image. He designed us this way for his for um, our good and for his glory. And so that's what we need to be telling these kids and helping these children and these parents that are dealing with these situations. Okay, conference cancels panel on biological sex and human skeletons over transphobia fears, commits a cardinal sin. Okay, so uh, speaking as a scientist, uh, this is just disturbing to me. Um, so this is by this happened at for the um, conference for the American Anthropological Association and the Canadian Anthropology Society. So it was like a joint meeting, and they were going to have a for like a panel discussion on the differences between male and female skeletons, because that's real and that's <laughs> observable fact, and that's a you know that's, that's like a real thing, and it's important to know those differences because like for example in forensic science. So we have a forensic scientist that works here, Dr. Jennifer Rivera. And I said to her, I said, you know, we were talking about this, and she said one of the most important things that happens when, when a forensic scientist goes to where human remains are, number one question they ask, male or female, right? Because that's the number one thing. So it's important to understand how we tell the differences between the skeleton. But that's transphobic according mm -hmm. to this association. Well, and also, I mean, if you go to study skeleton, someone, of course, skeleton dead, you need to understand what is the difference, if it's a male or if a female. You cannot just be like, uh, what is, wh what are you? The skeleton's not going <laughs> to say anything, right? Unless that is the skeleton talking, just run. Something is messed up with the skeleton or with you. Um, so y those are really need, you know, like police officers, they need that thing. The, the judges will need that information. Uh, lawyers need that information. This is a, it's an important legal thing. Right. And people are just like trying to be like, oh, it's transphobic to talk about it. 
Yeah, there's a few ironies going on here, but the one, like you mentioned, since the skeleton can't tell you its pronoun, basically by saying that you're not able to identify their gender, you're, you're kind of imposing a non-binary gender identity on these skeletons, which, I don't know, if someone dug me up in 200 years <laughs> and was like, this isn't necessarily a woman, I'd be a little offended by that. All, all, all the bones are... <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was one irony. And then the other is they're calling, um, speaking about observational science and saying, like, what bones are, like, representing male and female, they're saying that talking about this is a cardinal sin against, against scholarship because they're saying they're presupposing that there's a gender binary without having proved it. But, I mean, that's a problem because it's observational science supported by genetics and all kinds of things. It's not a cardinal sin against science. It's a cardinal sin against this basically religious view that um, feelings are the authority for truth and that there mm -hmm. isn't a gender binary. So they're presupposing that there isn't a gender binary. And they're basically committing what would normally be considered the cardinal sin against scholarship by literally denying the scientific evidence and saying mm -hmm. you can't talk about it. So they even uh, the um, panelists that were scheduled to speak wrote a quite an interesting response that said, you guys are being anti-science. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you know, creationists often are accused of being anti-science, right? That we don't believe in the science <laughs> or whatever. And I'm like, well, first of all, that's just not true. But secondly, when I, I'm thinking, and you're calling me anti-science, <laughs> you don't even believe that there's a male and a female, and that there is a gender binary. Because from a, I mean, I'm a geneticist, and from a genetic standpoint, I'm gonna tell you right now, no Y, no Y chromosome, no guy. Okay, that's just the way it is. Like, whether you like it or not, I don't care about <laughs> no, your why feelings for this. Like, I, I just keep saying that there is no crying in science. Okay, there's no crying in science, right? It, it is the way it is. It, it, it may be against what you think. You may not like it, but it doesn't matter because it's fact, right? Mm -hmm. That this is the truth. And so it's very, it's very frustrating to see this, the thinking. And, and some of the scientists are speaking out. We're not yeah, saying this is, is all good. the scientists involved in this society. Mm -hmm. They are very frustrated, right? That these societies, the, the leadership at least of these societies has caved um, to these woke, you know, this very woke liberal agenda within their organizations. Mm -hmm. right? And nobody's afraid of anything, you know, like because they use this word transphobic. They're afraid or scared or something. Nobody's trying to do anything to anyone. It's just, it's just the fact. It's just biology. It's just uh, and it just reminds me of something that is funny. Uh, there's some shirts on uh, transgender, those kind of stuff being sold. Mm -hmm. And then when you go and click uh, the size, uh, it's male and female. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's, yeah. it's really funny because, I mean, they know deep in their heart there's, that, that's how it is. Yeah. The Bible says that we, everybody knows, you know, and we, we have that. God was the one that put that information inside of our mind. And they understand that, but they're so deceived that they also deceive others. Right, it's an example of how science depends on truth and truth depends on God. And I'm, I've gone through secular anthropology classes and they're promoting this evolutionary worldview, but if you have that, you've given up your foundation for truth and this is the result mm -hmm. of that. So it's a, one example of how starting with the wrong uh, presuppositions leads you to faulty conclusions that then end up um, stopping scientific progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I hope they, 
it's just the, the problem is like we're how much is this diminishing and holding back science mm -hmm. because of these agendas because of these ideas and i'm saddened by that as a scientist yes. um that that's happening it's the same thing a lot of times evolutionary ideas will hold back science right. um because i could talk about that for a long time but um but it, it's problematic and that's what you were saying when you start with god's word it helps you understand rightly and correctly what you see in the world today and understand what has happened in the past so Okay, scientists are closer to understanding gay behavior in animals. Okay, that's what I'm saying. This week's been rich um, <laughs> for articles. So, one. Uh, so one of the things I want to say from the very outset of this is that trying to say that, that same-sex behavior in animals and calling it, let's say, homosexuality in animals is the same thing as what happens with humans, that is, no, that is not the same thing, all right? Um, because... Humans have make choices, right? They decide to do certain things or not do other things. Um, they're choosing to love an individual who maybe is of the same sex. Okay, so that's very different <laughs> from what happens with animals, just saying. Okay, so um, a lot of what they call same-sex behavior in animals, you, you, gotta, you gotta remember it's something completely different. It's not the same thing. Um, and so, but again, one of the things they're trying to do, and we've seen this often, is saying, well, if this happens in animals and humans are animals, then it's okay in humans. Right? That's, that's the, what they want to say. So what's the right. problem with that, Patricia? Well, um, so there's a couple of good critical thinking teaching moments with this article. So one, um, it's what you call a naturalistic fallacy to basically claim that something is right because it's natural in the sense that it exists in nature. So we actually see other things that exist among uh, great apes like cannibalism, infanticide, things that we wouldn't want to get our moral cues from. So evolutionists can even come up with explanations for why these behaviors can confer an advantage, but that doesn't make it right. And it's actually biblical creation that gives us the foundation for recognizing that some things in nature are not right because it's a fallen world. So even if you have a theistic evolutionary worldview, you can't really answer that. Why shouldn't we get our moral cues from nature? So it's always a good question to ask, is a message true or is something right because? Uh, because it exists in nature, not necessarily. Uh, because there might be patterns of predispositions in genes for it, not necessarily. So those are just some of the issues coming up in this article. Yeah, there's a lot of problem with that because there's a lot of also books. I was reading uh, one of the one books talking about it and then of course they connect evolutionary ideas with the behavior, which as Patricia was saying, Without the biblical foundation, I mean, why not, mm -hmm. right? Why not? And that's the point uh, that we would like just to, to, um, to put to you, all of you, is we always go, have to go back to the biblical foundation. Without the biblical foundation, we lost. There's no other way to see things, to perceive things, because everything crumbles, you know, on that. And that's very important for us to be not only about this topic, but everything else in our world uh, in our life, it has to be um, based on the biblical foundation. We don't have no reason to uh, go against it. Yeah, they talk a lot. They talk some in here about well, and um, they're trying to explain it from a um, genetic standpoint. And um, I've done a lot of research actually on this uh, of the articles and the literature that's out there, so finding finding supposed gay genes. Um, there's no such thing. 
You know, they, they can talk about all they, that all they want, but reality is it doesn't exist. Um, and so to, to try to explain, well, why this is so common in humans or whatever, and, and it's like, well, again, it's people making sinful choices, sadly. And, and we all struggle with different sins and different things that we tend to want to go towards that we shouldn't. Um, but it, it's not biological. I've got a whole DVD that, or a mm -hmm. presentation on Answers TV that talks about that in a lot more detail. Um, but again, from an evolutionary standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. Like, they have a hard time explaining homosexuality because the whole point is to pass on your genes to the next generation. Well, you're not going to do that in a homosexual um, relationship. And so it has no, it's hard to understand how it could have any kind of fitness to it. You know, it has a, I, there was a paper I read, it said, said um, homosexuality has zero fitness, <laughs> basically zero fitness because you're not passing on your genes. Mm -hmm. And so from an evolutionary standpoint. And so, yeah, so it's, it's very problematic and um, to try to equate these two things and to, uh, say that it's the same because there's animals the reason that they're doing some of these things which is not the same as what happens in human it has different roles and different um, things that it carries out in their society or in their you know communities which is very different from what's happening in human beings yeah and even the authors mentioned that they note that um, how they define same-sex behavior is any behavior that's usually performed at some stage during reproduction with a member of the opposite sex and that's very very broad right so you can't necessarily just equivocate those terms, which is what happens in the headline. So just, just another example of for critical thinking, ask, is this true or right, be, uh, true or right because? Uh, check those definitions and remember that a biblical worldview is what gives us the foundation for morality and ethics in the first place. Yeah. And so, okay, one more article on that particular topic. <laughs> now, this is within the Christian community, all right? Andy Stanley defends conference for parents of gay kids, says homosexuality is not a behavior, but a defining attraction. Okay, so he, I don't know, if, hopefully you're at least aware of this, because you need to be aware of this, because these things are happening. He had a conference at his church in Alpharetta, Georgia, called the Unconditional Conference, and it was supposed to be helping parents of children that were supposedly gay, and um, he had, so he gave them a sermon the following Sunday to talk about the conference and to address some of the criticisms that the church had received about the conference. And um, you need to understand that at this conference, while it sounds good on the surface, right, um, it was very problematic. So two of the speakers were gay men that are married, right? And so we can guess like where this is going to go and what they're going to say and the types of things that they're going to promote. And um, Albert Moeller, who's the president of Southern Seminary down in Louisville, Kentucky, very close to here, had said that what, what Stanley was doing in this conference was a departure from historic, normative, biblical Christianity. Yes, 100%. You can look at Genesis 1, you can look at Romans 1, right? And you can see that. But then Stanley said that Moeller's version of biblical Christianity is the problem. <laughs> version? I'm like, no, it's not. This, these are... You can read these, these verses in Scripture. They are not hard to understand. They are mm -hmm. not hard to interpret. This is not one of those issues, so to speak. And so it's, it's very, very problematic to see him. I mean, it, he's been going this way for a while, but this really, really showed, I think, his true colors in that. Yeah, it was a very hard article to read. I mean, um, using some terms, you know, like uh, together with kids, like gay yeah. kids, you know, uh, same-sex attraction kids. It's just, it's just very hard, even like to, to, to read, to say that, because, and I was talking to my husband about this, and he, and he said, well, they always start with this idea of adults. They always go with adults. No, it's okay with adults. It, and then they go down to kids. Now it's okay with kids also. 
And, and we see that it's just like it's a pattern, you know, and, and it's very problematic because it's inside of the church, and the church is promoting that. Uh, that's why there's someone here in the article that's saying that he's not, he's a, he's a false teacher. You know, he's going totally against what the Bible says, what God teaches. Uh, so, I mean, we all have to be aware of those things because it's happening and we have to have answers to how to, um, to answer to situations like that. Yeah, and it doesn't start overnight either. It's not like mm -hmm. the, everything was fine one day and then they're having this conference. This was a long process. So it started like there was like some years ago um, of this church rejecting Genesis and actually then rejecting the whole Old Testament. But the Old Testament and Genesis specifically is what gives you the foundation for the doctrine of marriage. And Jesus quoted it um, in Matthew 19 as well. Um, so that's then where this strategy comes up that you alluded to, Dr. Purdom, where people often try to weaken the authority of Scripture uh, a clear teaching from scripture by associating it with one fallible human, in this case, <laughs> Albert Muller, when like, you just have to look at what does God's word say, that's the standard, that's mm -hmm. the measuring stick for truth. People can't have their own versions of God's truth any more than we can come up with our personal versions of the metric system. Well, that's, yeah. what, so. well, that's what the Bible says about idolatry, right? right? Mm -hmm. It just, the idols are made in the image of the one that made them. So people are just like, uh, that's totally idolatry. And then he says that um, uh, they find themselves in the battle against a defined attraction that they did not choose, but somehow was chosen them. And it seems like very passive, you know, uh, as a sin is a very passive. You cannot change and even call like immutable characteristic. You cannot change that. Not even God can change that because it's something that you cannot change but we understand that we all have sins like dr george was saying we all have sins that we're gonna fight against them until the day that god call us back home you know because that's how it is and that doesn't make it okay for us to keep committing that sin sin but it's okay for us to fight against the sin that's what paul says right just that's what paul um said that's what we all have to do. So I think he's just kind of trying to make it okay um, for people to keep doing that behavior, not change, and it's sinful behavior. Yeah, because I mean, he even said that um, that homosexuality as a behavior, and or he drew a distinction between homosexuality as a behavior and what he described as an immutable characteristic. So mm -hmm. he's saying, if you say something's immutable, we say that of God, right? He cannot change. Right. So he's saying these kids cannot change. Like this is just part of who they are. And we just need to deal with that. But, and, but then he goes on to say, but, but he says his church is still going to uphold the New Testament sexual ethic, which is that marriage is between a man and a woman. And I'm like, for how much longer? Mm -hmm. Because you can't keep saying to these people that this is okay, they can't change who they are, this is the way they are, and keep that New Testament sexual ethic, as he calls it. It's not going to happen. It's, you know, we've seen, we've been watching, as, as Patricia said, kind of that slippery slope mm -hmm. um, down, down the hill, so to speak, and, and really focusing on sort of Jesus loves you, right? And, and Jesus does, absolutely, but he doesn't, he doesn't want you to stay as you are. You know, he wants to transform you, and um, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and scripture tells us that, and so that's, that's really where this falls short, what he's trying to accomplish. Because this behavior is destructive. This behavior, it's, it brings destruction. It brings a lot of uh, uh, problems. And it's not just like Jesus saying, I don't want you to enjoy life. No, Jesus is saying, God is saying, I want you to enjoy 
the best of the life, you know, the abundant life. And the abundant life that we're going to have, it's only when we follow Christ, when we walk on, on his path and uh, obey his, his word. That's the only way that we're going to be happy and joyful and having peace in this world. Amen. And that's what then has to define kids. And that's what they need to be taught. It's nothing yeah. else that can be your defining feature. It has to be Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Moving on to dinosaurs now. <laughs> New computer analysis hence volcanism killed the dinosaurs, not an asteroid. So uh, there's always been this kind of, okay, what finally finished them off, right, from an evolutionary standpoint, basically. And so they'll say that there was this giant asteroid that hit the Earth and that caused a lot of changes on the Earth, and that's what killed them out. But then some people say, well, maybe it was these large volcanoes that were erupting on the Earth, like these ones in India, and so that's what did it. So to figure it out, guess what they did? <laughs> they made this amazing computer model <laughs> to figure out which it was. With no bias, right? Yeah. <laughs> no human no bias. No bias in that no whatsoever. Bias. Yeah, yeah, and the, the, their goal was to have as little human input or bias in the process as possible. So they build a model in a computer with a lot of numbers, a lot of things, and they run all the information that they want to be inside of the computer. No bias at all. You know, it, it's just funny because when I read that, I'm just like, it's my English working? Am I reading what I'm reading? Um, because it just, yeah. So the assumptions about the ratio of the isotope, the assumptions that uh, the ocean that we have today was the same millions of years, the idea that it took millions of years for everything to come to be, the idea that the fossil that they're using was the right fossil to kind of... Um, uh, give that information that they need, and they don't have uh, the main detail, the little main detail, the flood of Noah would have changed everything. Every little detail the flood of Noah would have changed because, of course, the world that they lived before, it's totally different from the world that we live um, today. So it has so many assumptions here, um, but it's not biased at all. Right. And like what you're saying about the flood, the Bible actually gives us a, an explanation that would explain a lot of the things that they're thinking in the article killed the dinosaurs, like volcanic activity and warmer ocean temperatures. But they're ignoring the foundation the Bible gives us for history, and they're coming up with a lot of their own assumptions. So assuming that there are these higher rates of carbon dioxide and uh, sulfur dioxide that killed the dinosaurs, assuming that was related to higher ocean temperatures, assuming that's reflected in these little... Um, um, for uh, foraminifera, which are these little creatures that make shells in the ocean, and um, and then they're coming up with all this model based on that to see was it uh, asteroid or was it a volcano that um, contributed to these factors. But again, lots of different assumptions that go into there. And one of the other researchers who criticized this article said at the end, it's a bit of a leap of faith to say this study shows that a crater didn't cause the extinction. I think what they show is that the impact was not associated with a large gas release. So even their conclusion doesn't necessarily support the headline. So just another example of how we need to think critically about what articles are saying. Go back to the original research, ask how is this data made? Um, what were the facts? What were the assumptions? And you'll find that a biblical explanation usually fits the facts that we do see a lot better. Yeah, it's interesting throughout the whole article, you see things like possible, infer, you know, simulation, model, you know, they don't really know. And again, even, even they were saying there's different scientists say, well, if you put different things in, you're going to get different models. Exactly. And since they weren't there, they don't know. Um, so that's why, again, it's important to start with the word of God to help us understand that. 
All right, four reasons dinosaurs never really ruled the earth. Now, we will say, we were talking about this article beforehand. There are some things in here we do agree with from mm -hmm. a creationist standpoint. Like one of the articles, one of the um, things they say is that dinosaurs weren't really all that large. And that is, that is an absolute fact. We can study that from the fossil record. Um, creationists have done studies on that. Evolutionists have done studies on that to show that the average size of a dinosaur is like a large cow. Okay, so most of them weren't that big, right? Um, they were pretty small. So how could something like that possibly dominate the earth, right? Uh, I mean, again, we get, we watch way too much Jurassic Park and yeah, Jurassic World, yeah. and yeah. we have these ideas of what it was like, but that's not reflecting reality. Yeah, and I was talking to Dr. George about it, it was like, even like in the scientific field, because I study paleontology, uh, even in the scientific field, we don't, we don't really talk about this idea. It seems very fictional, you know, like, oh, the dinosaurs rule the, the, the earth. Um, so, I, I mean, it's just interesting to see that because, mostly because the imaginary has been uh, with the Jurassic Park and those kind of stuff, people start just talking more about dinosaurs and ruling the earth, which is, is not the case uh, at all. But here we see a lot of the evolutionary worldview being applied, you know, just like the the millions of years, the animals evolving and not just being created. Um, that's, um, so that's more like a, the storytelling. Right, so there is still a lot of evolutionary storytelling and the facts that are involved in this actually, again, fit a biblical explanation perfectly well. Um, there weren't as many like huge dinosaurs and also the fact that they point out is that mammals thrived yeah. throughout the age of the dinosaurs. So we don't usually think of it as being the age of the squirrels and the platypuses mm -hmm. and the beavers and the moles and the mm -hmm. rabbits and the honey badgers, <laughs> but they're like listing all these other mammals that lived alongside the dinosaurs, which again, we would totally <coughs> expect from a biblical worldview, all the land animals being created on day six of creation. That includes humans, by the way. But again, you have a lot of evolutionary storytelling being laid over that. Yeah, and even like when I, in, uh, when I was studying, my master's and PhD was on wasps, wasps, bees, and ants, the fossil. Um, they were booming, you know, mm -hmm. booming in, in, in around this time too. So uh, when you're talking about mammals, I was just talking like my little wasp and bees and ants, like they were there too. When wasps yeah. ruled the earth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're all there together because yes. again, most of the fossil record is representative of the flood, right? So they're all, they're all alive. They're all being buried. Um, and mm -hmm. so that, that's the real, that's the reality of it. Yes. All right. So the last story is kind of fun. Cats are perfect. An evolutionary biologist explains why. Now, there's always the cat people and the dog people, all right, uh -huh. and, and what they like, or maybe <coughs> neither, maybe they like fish or something else. But this, this article, it kind of cracked me up because it's talking about how there's not as much variety in cats as there is in dogs, okay? So for example, as dogs start out kind of looking one way as puppies, and as they get older, their facial structures especially change, like their snouts become longer and everything. But with cats, they kind of start out with what they call baby face, and they sort of stay baby face. Okay? They don't really change all that much structurally. Um, and even if you look at different cat species, they all are very, very similar. Okay? There's just not the variation. You can tell. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to tell, oh, yeah, that's a cat. You know? Or even if it's a wild cat, so to speak, you know it's a cat. It's very, very easy to tell. And so this evolutionary biologist, her, her basic conclusion is, well, be, they've they've kind of reached their, the reason we don't have a lot of varieties because they've reached their evolutionary pinnacle. They're perfect, Woo. according to her. <laughs> and so they, they've, they've specialized, they've adapted, and, and this is it. They're not going any further than this, so that's why you don't see the variation. Well, that's a big problem because they're not going to go anywhere. They're so specialized because if anything happens in the environment, 
they're gone. They're not going to yeah. go anywhere at right. all. It's just another example of how when you start with the wrong assumptions, you reach the wrong conclusions. In this case, that cats are perfect, which we all know is, uh, anyway. So, <laughs> not a cat like, person. <laughs> so, and I mean, in this case, again, the Bible, like biblically, we can recognize that cats are similar because they're in the same created kind, different species with less potential for genetic variation, unlike the superior dogs, which can adapt to a lot of different environments. Um, and also just the, the fact of how carnivorous cats are these days, it shows that they're a symbol of a fallen, corrupted world where people mm -hmm. are, and cats, you know, yeah. eat things. So yeah, the yeah. the the writer has five cats. Yeah, I'm joking. <laughs> I, I like know. them both. So I'm kind of one of those people that like both cats and dogs. But um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting because usually when you think of something getting more specialized and more adapted to its environment, it's actually less fit and more mm -hmm. problematic because if things change, then they can't, they don't have the variety needed to change basically mm -hmm. within a variety needed to be able Adapt. to deal with it. And so that can be, a, that's usually a, a big problem for mm -hmm. different, for populations. And so I, I don't, I don't agree with her in that sense, but I, because it's a lot of storytelling, so to speak, mm -hmm. in here um, about cats. But I, but I do agree, though, that God has created amazing diversity uh, within these different kinds, and we get to see it even in cats. You get to see it in size, you get to see it in coat color, mm -hmm. um, and uh, some of them are our pets, and that's fun too. So we get to we get to have both of those. All right, so we're going to talk just about a couple of resources that we have related to what we discussed today, like dinosaurs for kids. So it's really important to give kids that biblical worldview. So this talks about, too, what the evolutionary worldview is and the problems with it. So that's, I like how it points that out. And then um, Crafted by God. So I co-wrote this with a friend and colleague of mine, Stacia McKeever. And this is a great book for giving children that really good foundation of that we're made in the image of God, that all life is important regardless of gender, regardless of uh, skin tone, regardless of ability, and just really looking at that issue, confronting the abortion issue as well, and just really helping children have a good understanding of that. And then you want to talk about that one? Right, so the gender and marriage work covers a lot of different topics that are really prevalent today that we talk about in a lot of our articles, um, like the transgender issue and the homosexuality issues, does so from a biblical perspective and shows how you can apply God's word to every area of life in that regard. And another resource, too, um, are Justin and Jesse stories. Uh, these come from our uh, Sunday school curriculum, and so we've now put them into book form, which is really nice. Uh, so you can read those to your children, uh, young, young uh, elementary-aged children will really, again, how to, how to take these biblical truths and apply them to everyday life. And also along the lines of children, we have our Kids Answers magazine. So this magazine is now available as a standalone subscription. Uh, you can order it for your kids, your grandkids. Uh, it's really great. What, kids love getting stuff in the mail, right? So this is really, really fun to give them all from a biblical worldview, right? How to look at God's creatures, um, hike and seek about nature, exploring creation, exploring the Bible with scripture sleuths, um, lots of activities, science experiments, um, just for fun, you know, some fun things in there. And you're not going to have to worry about evolution and millions of years and all those things getting in there, homosexuality, all of that, because that's going to get into a lot of kids' materials now. Um, you don't have to worry about that with Kids Answers magazine. So hope that you'll subscribe to that. If you subscribe today, you get a free gift. Uh, whether you're online or you're here with us at the uh, museum or the ARC, um, you'll be able to take advantage of that. All right, so we're out of time for today, so we'll see you back here next Monday.